Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parashas Shmini. Parashas Shmini, according to the Chinuch, contains six positive mitzvos and 11 restrictions. And interestingly, the bulk of the parasha is, in terms of the mitzvos, are related to what we would call the laws of kashros, that which the Jew can eat and that which he is prohibited and restricted from eating. The kosher animals, the kosher fish, kosher birds, and interestingly, when it comes to, towards the end of chapter 11, the Torah says regarding regarding literally those creeping little rodents and that which is close to the ground. The Torah says, number one, literally in Pasuk 43, in chapter 11, don't make your souls abominable by means of any of these teeming things that are b'chol hasheretz hashoretz. Now listen carefully. The Torah does not give a reason for kashros. That's fascinating. I can tell you, however, wherever the Torah speaks about kashros, be it in parshas mishpatim, be it here at length in parshas shmini, be it again in parshas re'ei, the Torah always hugs and uses the term Kedusha, sanctity, in conjunction with the laws of Kashros, which means basically it is a means of separating ourselves from the rest of the world. Now, the Torah says regarding the consumption of these shratzim, these prohibited animals, these teeming creatures close to the ground, the Torah says, that you are not to make yourselves tomei, impure, contaminate yourselves through them, and you will become contaminated through them. Now, interestingly, it's this double language. So first of all, take out the Chumash and note for yourself that the word v'nitmesem is missing an aleph. It should have been spelt nun tes mem aleph, as indeed sitamu, the word tomei, is spelt tof mem aleph. The Gemara in Yuma, at the very end of the third chapter, at the top of page 39a, teaches in the name of the school of Rabbi Yishmael that Avera sins mitamtemes libo shel adam. That sin has the effect of literally obstructing the heart of a person or literally being mitamtem based upon this pasuk shenemar velosetamu bahem vinitmesem bam but Al-tikri, don't read it as v'nitmesem, because the aleph is missing, el-v'nitamtem, but rather it means that your heart will become obstructed. In other words, that it will not be able to absorb the purity. Um, your soul 
will become, forgive me, polluted by the consumption of non-kosher food. And interestingly, let's take a look, the contrast, the next verse in the positive, Ani Hashem Kadishtem, you are literally, you shall sanctify yourselves. God says, I am giving you sanctity, but V'yisem Kedoshim, you are to be holy. By keeping these laws of Kashrus, the Jew is holy in many different ways. I'd like to point out something which, unfortunately, it was under the most challenging and difficult of situations, but we need to remind ourselves that even under those kinds of situations, the Jew has the capacity to rise to the occasion. And so, it has been over 60 years since the beginning of the Shoah, the Holocaust, and we still read and hear stories of the superhuman spiritual strength that the Jewish people demonstrated. Harav Yoshua Moshe Aronson, Zechrona Levracha, a Rav in Poland, kept a diary in which he recorded the events of the Holocaust that he and members of his ghetto experienced. He writes that never did his faith in Hashem ever waver, nor did his spirit become depressed. He did not question the Almighty's decree. He was even able to inspire many people with his belief in Hashem. In his diary, he describes everyday life in the ghetto and how the Jews survived emotionally and spiritually despite the persecution and deprivation to which they were subjected. What impressed him most was the sense of camaraderie that was evidenced in the ghetto. Everyone agreed to take care of the next one, one another, understanding that not only was this the correct way to live, but it was also the only way they would survive as human beings. Rav Aronson writes that in the beginning most Jews did not realize what was happening. They believed the ruse that they were being sent away to work camp, where they would receive proper food and care. Little did they know the real function of these camps. Aronson was acutely aware of the Germans' real intentions, and he did everything within his capabilities to publicize this. He sent a letter to his Rebbe, the Hasidische Rav of Sukhachev, the Shemi Shmuel, employing a Jewish boy who had the appearance of a German peasant as a messenger. He wrote the following note, open quote, Aunt Esther from Magilla Street, number 7, apartment 4, has arrived. To the German censor, the letter was innocuous. To his Rebbe, it was a reference to Megillas Esther per Zion, Pasuk Dalid, which reads, Loaleinu, Kinim Karnu, for we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, Lashmidla, Rogelabed, slain and annihilated. Rav Aronson was alluding to the real purpose of, unfortunately, that which was going on around him. 
that the ghetto was there to annihilate Jews. After he had begun writing the first letters of his note, his pen ran out of ink. He continued writing using blood collected from wounded Jews as ink. Not only did the note convey a message, but the ink emphasized its meaning. The Sakachava Rav responded with a similar message when he wrote, Open quote, David from street number 23, Apartment 4 is with me. This alluded to Sefer Tilim, Perich of Gimel, Pasuk Dalid, Gam ki elech begeitz lo irara fa'ato imodi. Though I walk in the valley overshadowed by death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, most of the men in Siniki, which was the town where Rav Aronson was the Rav, including the rabbi, were taken from their homes in March 1942 and sent to perform forced labor in Konin. Just a few days after their arrival at the camp, when they were confronted with harsh living conditions, a shortage of water and food, grueling labor, the question of permission to eat non-kosher food first arose. After an arduous day of work, they were given a tasty, thick soup, and the consultations started. Simple Jews, as well as Torah scholars, took part in the discussion. Some people maintained that the non-kosher food would be permissible only when they would become weak. Quote, said the Rav, but I believe that since a risk to life was involved, everyone must eat immediately and not wait until the verge of death. This is found in his Sefer called Ale Mirorot, literally Bitter Leaves, page 135. Now what was going on with this halachic discussion? Interestingly, Pikuach Nefesh, in a life-threatening emergency, the question is irrelevant, since such a situation supersedes everything, including the prohibition of eating non-kosher food. However, at this point, the Jews still had strength and did not feel that they were at risk of starving to death. The question was whether a situation is classified as pikuach nefesh only when the danger is already present, or whether the danger should be prevented in advance right? Namely, that's called pikuach nefesh le'achar zman, which we call eventual pikuach nefesh. In practice, should they avoid this food as long as they still had the strength? Or, looking ahead, should all foods be permitted so that they would not sink into life-threatening weakness? We should never know to have to reconcile and decide that challenging question. The question of eventual Pikuach Nefesh came up in Kovno 2 in September to October 1941 when Jews were forced to help build the Alexotas airfield. They refrained from eating the non-kosher soup they were given during work hours, but they were afraid they would become weaker and weaker until their lives were in danger. And so Several people came to me, Rav Ashri, and who writes this in his Shelos and Chuvos Mimamakim, Volume 1, Question 2. Several people came to him during Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur 
desperate to ask whether they were allowed to eat the soup because at the time there was no state of pikuach nefesh, right? That would supersede the prohibition, but eventually they would become weak and their lives would be in danger. And so, in both places, it's clear from the dialogue between the questioners and the rabbi that the reluctance to eat non-kosher food stemmed not only from the halacha, but the revulsion and concern that non-kosher food dulls the heart, as we saw in Yuma Daflamites. It should be noted that deciding cases of eventual bikoch nefesh is no simple matter, and what was the ruling of Rav Aronson? He ruled that non-kosher food should be permitted immediately so as to prevent a life-threatening emergency. And the same issue was ruled in Kovno by Rav Ashri, Zichron of Racha. When Rav Aronson discovered that this was hard for many people, he set a personal example. Seeing that many people were undecided about whether to eat the non-kosher soup, I, he writes, took a spoonful of soup, recited the blessing Shakol Niebed Voro out loud, and ate the soup. He explained to the onlookers that Shakol Niebed Voro, literally by whose word everything comes into being, means that everything that happens to people, even the horrible necessity of eating non-kosher food, is the outcome of the Creator's will. We are commanded to live and to sustain ourselves. And so he said, my remark had an effect, and most of them ate the soup. And with these words, Rav Aronson sought to assuage the people's feelings and strengthen their faith. Let's take it one step beyond. It was just for us, thank God, the holiday of Pesach. You ate at least a kezayis of matzah. Because when the Torah says eat, there's a minimum amount, and that is the volume of an olive, the compressed volume, and it had to be eaten within a specific amount of time, between two and maximum eight minutes. Now watch this. In Auschwitz, Pesach, 1944, it was clear the Jews, listen carefully now, would be able to survive only if they would eat chametz. Nevertheless, he urged the God-fearing, this is Rav Aronson again, that if they eat chametz on Pesach, they should eat less than a kazayas at a time, less than a compressed olive-sized portion, with more than bichteach pras, with pauses of longer than kideach pras. And so what was the purpose of this? The purpose was, on the one hand, he was working with the people, for Chaim They were to sustain themselves. But on the other hand, it shows that even in a case of Pikuach Nefesh, Rav Aronson tried to minimize the severity of the violation by the way they ate. Small quantities, less than a Kazayas, not all at once, more than Kadeach Pras. And this was too terrible years had passed since he first gave permission to eat the non-kosher soup because v'chai bohem and we have an obligation to maintain ourselves but his attitude had not changed. Even in Auschwitz he never came to think of eating non-kosher food as something permissible and he therefore tried to figure out how the prohibition could be minimized as much as possible. 
that which we take for granted, we dare not take for granted. And please God, as the parsha ends with that beautiful charge, this kadishtem v'yisem kedoshim, may we appreciate the very special privilege of having kosher food in abundance of all kinds, the ability to recite the proper brachos in order that we should, as we began with the chinuch in mitzvah, ayin gimel, where he has the laws of trefa, and he says there, the purpose of kosher is we house a neshama, we house a holy spirit. Our bodies is that kli, is that vessel which holds the very sacred soul. Make sure that the body only imbibes that which is proper, thereby giving our soul the best opportunity to fulfill its beautiful potential and purpose. Shabbat Shalom to all.